0: Good morning, church. It's a a real joy to see um, you so alive. You're very welcome to come this alive every Sunday. (laughs) We help the church enormously. My prayer is that you do stay hanging on to God your whole lives long, and that he holds on to you as well. So bless you. This morning I wanted to take a good look at a passage of scripture, which I'm sure most of you know well, but I'll ask. How many of you do know the Lord's Prayer? How many of you know it by heart? How many of you pray it regularly? Not so many. (laughs) Have you ever thought much about it? Well, this was the first scripture that I learned by heart as a young girl and I've recited, recited it or sung it most of my life. Years ago, we did a study during Lent on the Lord's Prayer but it's very easy to forget all these things that you learn. And I was reminded about it recently when I was working through a, a, a long set of sermons on chapters 5, 6, and 7 in Matthew. And so I want to share some of what I've learned with you and include some of my own thoughts about it. So this is how it reads in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9b to 13. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. And the first part of Matthew chapter 6 and verses 1 to 18 talks about practicing our righteousness. It's the acts of righteousness, or in other words, how to do and not to do the things that are just between us and God, about our direct relationship with God. And it includes giving prayer and fasting. And I want to read this passage of scripture so you can catch the context of where the Lord's Prayer comes. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them, otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honoured by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room Close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray (coughs) in this way. For if you forgive others for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. And whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do. For they neglect their appearance, so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now there are at least three areas that Jesus is repeating and emphasizing in this passage. He tells us that God is our Father, because the words your Father appear nine times in these 18 verses. He tells us not to give and pray and fast so that other people will notice and tell us what wonderful Christians we are. And he tells us not to give and pray and fast so that we can tell ourselves what a wonderful Christian we are. And he talks about rewards from our Heavenly Father. But today I want to focus on prayer and specifically the Lord's Prayer. Now of course there's a place and a need for Christians to pray together and in the open and that happens throughout God's worldwide church. But this teaching on prayer by Jesus is about our personal individual prayer to God our Father. It's our time of communicating just with Him. So going back to verse 6 and it says, but you when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door and pray to your father you can have a prayer place a prayer room a prayer closet to meet by yourself with God and that can be very helpful but we can pray any time we like walking to work or school in the car working in the kitchen working in the garden because our father God sees everything we do he hears every word we say whether we say it out loud, or whether we say it silently inside ourselves. He knows our every thought, he knows our intentions, he knows our hearts. In other words, he knows us through and through, and far better than we know ourselves. So we can't hide a single thing from him. And that's both frightening, but it's also very comforting. So you might want well be thinking, well, why do, do I need to play at all? when God already knows me, and He knows what I need before I ask Him? And I think the answer is because our God, our Father God, wants a personal relationship with each one of us. He wants us to get to know Him. He wants us to express our needs to Him, just like a little child going to his or her earthly parents. And many times the the parent will already know what the child needs or wants, but the child has to learn to talk and build its relationship with his parents. Now we have our little two and a half year old grandson, Jack, living with us at the moment and I care for him a lot of the time. He's, he's smiling, he's quite a smiling child and he laughs a lot. And he has one particular cheesy grin. And when he first used to give me that grin, I used to think he just loved me. <laughs> but then I found out it was actually meaning he wanted something, and 99% of the time he wants his favourite snack. But I refuse to, to just give it to him, he has to come and ask me for it, he, he can talk well. And that then gives me an opportunity to say yes, or no, or to begin negotiations about when. <laughs> And so, to the Lord's Prayer, Jesus introduces it by saying, Pray then, in this way. <coughs> this is how to pray. This is the way to do it. Can you put up the first part of the, the Lord's Prayer? The most important thing <laughs> to notice in this prayer is a pattern. It focuses on God first. And, and then on our knees. And it's the same pattern in the Ten Commandments and it morals a pattern for our lives. God first. It may just be my age and it probably is, but I tend to think we live in an incredibly self centred, self focused world. That focuses on me, me, me. And unfortunately, I think it's cracked into the church. We do focus a lot on ourselves our needs. And I just love singing that song at the end about lifting God high and giving Him the worship. Because when we focus first on God, when we give Him the praise and the worship and the adoration that He deserves, and when we bring into our minds just who He is, the Creator of the universe and the one who holds it all together by the power of His Word. and who incredibly knows each one of us individually and loves us passionately, and who has chosen to include and use us in his purposes. Well, then our own needs don't seem so urgent or enormous after all. Our Father, who is in heaven. This is the person we're talking to, our heavenly Father. And I said earlier that the words... (laughs) Your Father appeared nine times in this passage, but if we add in the Our Father from this first line of the prayer, then it takes the total to ten. So Jesus is emphasizing that God is Our Father, a loving, compassionate, wise, strict, yet so kind. I'm here for you, Father. And I know that these very first words, Our Father, may be a stumbling block for any number of folk here because we live in a fallen world and your experience of your earthly father may have been disappointing and hurtful right through to horrific or your earthly father may never have been in your life but that's never how God intended fatherhood to be he intended our fathers to be everything we might imagine and desire strong, wise, protective a really good mate and a chief supporter in life Jesus had a deep and loving relationship with his Father, his Heavenly Father, as we see right through the Gospels. He was utterly dependent on him and completely obedient to him. And here, in this passage of Scripture, he is saying, your Father, our Father, God, my Father, is your Father too. And Jesus says this again to Mary Magdalene, immediately following his resurrection. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet returned to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Now, I lost my own father in my, my teens. Um, it was nearly 30 years ago. So um, That's me. He was a very... He was a really loving father, and he was the world to me, um, but he had a cerebral aneurysm, a blood vessel burst of the brain, and that was up. He was gone. Um, but some years ago, living up here in Kaitaia, we were doing a study during the season of Lent on the Lord's Prayer, and God gave me an incredible revelation that he was indeed my father, and that I had a father in this life, here and now, all the time, and every day. And it is a really, really precious revelation. Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name, revered is your name. This is the time to remember and think about and consider all that our God is. His might and majesty, his goodness and grace and mercy, his care and provision and to give Him praise and thanks and worship and glory. And we don't do this because God needs it. We do it because we have to keep reminding ourselves and giving God His rightful place. Now, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But what does God's kingdom look like? It's a huge subject in itself. In the Gospels, the words Kingdom of God are used interchangeably with Kingdom of Heaven. Matthew's Gospel uses Kingdom of Heaven and the others Kingdom of God. Jesus talked a lot about this Kingdom, saying it was at hand, it was near, it had come upon a person. And that happened when Jesus healed people, raised folk from the dead, set people free from the power of influence and demons. And another time, when Jesus was debating with some of the religious leaders, he had a discussion with one of them about which was the greatest commandment. And the discussion ended like this. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Jesus also welcomed the kingdom of heaven from mustard seed and to leaven or yeast and bread. He, Jesus, told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all your seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and perch in its branches. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took mixed into a large amount of flour until it worked all the way through. We know that yeast causes bread to rise and that it must be worked right through the dough. It gives the bread its size and shape and both these parables or pictures speak of something very tiny which becomes much larger and gives shape and size and in the case of the mustard tree a place of safety. So a small amount of God's goodness and His order and righteousness can spread right through homes, workplaces, even society. We could say that God's kingdom is the world being turned the right way up. It's a world where God's order prevails, where there is true justice, righteousness, freedom from oppression, peace. Joy, freedom from sickness, freedom from the work of the enemy, love instead of hatred. Now, during Jesus' earthly life and ministry, he was announcing that a whole new world was being born. God's kingdom was coming here on earth. And everything he said and did was demonstrating God's kingdom. So in the Lord's Prayer, when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he tells us to pray. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And of course, God's will is being done when his kingdom manifests itself here on earth. But I believe that not only do we pray that God's kingdom will come, but our lives are meant to bring that kingdom into being, to extend that kingdom wherever we live and whatever we do. So, whenever we play into a situation or for a person, or for our workplace, or for our school, or our classmates, for our boss, our teacher, our family, and we see God at work, then we're bringing His kingdom into being. When we help to restore broken relationships, when we bring peace into a place or our home, when we respond to a nasty comment or action with love and forgiveness, and we're bringing God's kingdom into being. We're extending his kingdom here on earth. And it, it's also for the land. Our daughter uh, worked on a mission station in Kisumu, Kenya for nearly a year. And she told me that when that station was established, the, the ground was absolutely barren. And it was through prayer that it became fertile and that they were able to grow um, vegetables and and have it serve their needs. I've also heard of people praying over the land up north here, a certain area of land that was both obviously de- troubled by demonic powers, but also full of weeds and everything. And a group went and prayed and sent that area free, and it became one of the most productive pieces of land in the whole area. And what about Wayne, who prays over Has been crop and keeps the pests at bay through prayer. You know, God is working in His physical um, kingdom. He's working in in the whole of His creation, and and so we go on doing this. We go on praying, and we go on living like this until Jesus returns and the whole created order is restored. Because you know, we are not standing in an evacuation line for heaven with our ticket stamped personal salvation. We've been called into God's service to work in and for his kingdom here on earth. And so it's your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, the second part of the prayer is to do with us. Give us this day our daily bread. Well, this line reminds me of God providing manna in the desert for the Israelites during their journey from Egypt to the Promised Land. Their instructions were to collect only enough of the manna for one day at a time. And further on in this chapter of Matthew's Gospel, right at the end, Jesus says, So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. It's just one of the reasons I love the Bible. It's just so realistic. Jesus is saying, bring today's needs before your Heavenly Father. And it isn't only food that we can ask for, but we can ask for any material need that we have. And mind you, a need, not a want. <laughs> but isn't our Father God wonderful? If, he, if we ask in faith, He will provide And here we've been told to go to God with our daily needs. And forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. We use that word sin in place of debts, trespasses, wrongs that people have done to us. So we certainly know that God has and continues to forgive us but here we see that we must also forgive others and the forgiveness issue is so important that Jesus finishes his instructions on how to pray and then he brings up forgiveness again for if you forgive others for their transgressions your heavenly father will also forgive you but if you do not forgive others then your father will not forgive your transgressions and Jesus Um, teaches extensively on forgiveness elsewhere in the Gospels. So we have no choice. We have to forgive. We have to forgive whatever hurt or wrong has been done to us, even though it seems like it's one of the hardest things for us to do. God is commanding that we relate to other people in the same way that He relates to us. If we won't forgive others, He will not forgive us. Now, a whole sermon at least, or ten, could be preached on forgiveness. We often need a lot of help to work through forgiving someone, and it can take quite some time to truly, truly forgive. And I also believe we need God's help, and He can and does help us. So I'm just going to make a couple of points here. Uh, Years ago, we heard a very powerful sermon on forgiveness, and I think it was the powerful because of this picture that I've never forgotten. The person preaching talked about a tribe in a very isolated part of the world, and I can't remember where. When a person of that tribe killed another member of the tribe, the person who had done the murdering had to carry the, the dead person on his back. It was strapped the back, the corpse is strapped and it's stayed there the entire time that it decomposed. That's a really graphic picture of unforgiveness. It, it just binds us to that extent. And God doesn't want us as children to be bound like that and in bondage to bitterness. When we, were Paul, my husband and I, facilitated the Freedom in Christ course, um, we there's a there's a big area of that um, that deals with forgiveness. And so, one of the things that it said was, forgiveness is not saying that what happened doesn't matter just forget about it. It's taking a step of faith and handing the situation over to God, who is the only righteous judge. And that course also said that God will bring that person to account even if it's in the next life but it is okay to take steps to remove yourself from abuse, to call on authorities if need be so forgiveness is not um, forgetting but it's being released from bondage Uh, quite recently I went through a long struggle to forgive someone it started with, well, I haven't got anything to be good because I'm right and that person's wrong. But <laughs> um, I worked through it, and I used the way that Freedom and Christ, of course, had taught us to deal, to work through forgiveness. But I knew I hadn't got there because the things that had happened kept coming back into my mind, and it was a long, constant battle to just push it out, push it out. and like I've forgiven, I've forgiven that person, I've forgiven that person. But actually, I think what I was wanting was I wanted to see justice done. I wanted revenge. I wanted to see that person dealt to. Now, one day a friend came to visit, and he was talking about that particular person, and he had no idea what I was going through. It didn't even come into the conversation, but he said something about God and that person, and it just broke the whole thing It, It was done. It was dealt to. And that was God, that was God stepping into the situation. And, and we really, really need his help. And again, the, this is something that really stuck out to me from this course was the key. Everybody is living with the consequences of somebody else's sin. And the only real choice we have is to live in the bondage bitterness, or on the freedom of forgiveness. The only real choice we have is to live in the bondage of bitterness or the freedom of forgiveness. So we could say that this part of the Lord's Prayer and the next are about the health and wholeness of our inner beings. The line do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Well, God doesn't tempt us, This is asking God to help us stay away from anything that might lead us into sin. We need to be very aware of what we expose ourselves to. Not just doing something wrong, like licking something. But it's what we read, it's what we watch on our phones, our iPads, our movies, what we get into on the internet, what we listen to our friends and associates talking about, what we join in with. Because we're really easily defiled and wrong thoughts and pictures can get into our hearts and minds and stick there. Wrong thoughts lead to wrong actions. Now, I remember some years ago when I was about to read an article in a magazine that came with the Saturday Herald, and the Holy Spirit clearly told me not to read it, so I went ahead and read it. Well, all I can think of stupid, disobedient, rebellious me. Of course I had to repent, but it took a long, long time to get those images out of my head. The Lord's Prayer finishes with, For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And this line isn't in all the old manuscripts, but it is a good way to finish the prayer because it brings the focus back again to God. So we start with God and we finish with God. So I hope you can see that the Lord's Prayer is both like a skeleton prayer where we can extend out any one, any part of it in our communication with God, but it's also a very complete prayer and so it can be used as a model for prayer anytime, anywhere. So if you don't already know it off by heart, then I would encourage you, I would challenge you to learn it and to reflect on it, to think about it and to use it. So I I'd like to close in prayer. Father God, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you that you've made yourself known. We thank you for your word. We thank you that your teaching is clear. We thank you for the life that we bring. We thank you that you... You are who you are, and yet you you know each one of our needs. You care for each one of us deeply, and we give you all the praise and honor and glory. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.